back at it again. Now, I'm unsure whether this is a good idea or not, but hell, I'll do it anyway. This will be fun. I'm gonna kind of get a rough political blueprint of what I've, where I've been, some of what I've seen, and where I'm at now. And the reason I'm doing that is because, you know, they say the political is personal, and uh, as such, it tends to inevitably be something that is heavily context-dependent. We've ended up becoming this highly politicized society because it has become the replacement for our personal lives. But that's a story for a significantly different day. Now, part of it is because, well, again, it's context-dependent. It's what we see around us. It's what becomes of us. It's why we do what we do. And the ultimate irony is that a lot of what we do and see is a reaction to what happens to us. And I can speak with absolute certainty on that one. So, the... I can't remember a whole lot about my early, 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 like when I was a kid life, but I vaguely remember uh, making a, uh, a newsletter in elementary school um, against child labor, and I remember just handing it out to people, you know. Um, I didn't realize it was political, political. It's like a school project. You know, I didn't think much of it. And uh, I always saw politics as an outgrowth of history. You know, I wasn't involved, maybe even a little kid, but I loved, you know, I loved history, uh, military history, um, ancient history, everything. And so whatever I liked was an outgrowth of that. And uh, next thing I can remember, um, it's kind of more of a preteen, getting older, you know. And when I was a preteen, I guess I could call myself a uh, moderate Democrat, given I was born and raised in New York City my whole life. Um, I had some slight suspicions about, you know, the welfare system, but uh, I figured it went to people that needed it, and I saw people that genuinely needed it, and uh, didn't think a whole lot of it. And then as time went on, and I started seeing the incompetence of the administration, the people around me, so on and so forth, I... Uh, I became Republican for a couple of years, and I became Republican because I, quite frankly, despised the neoliberal administration of New York City, I'm going to be very honest, and uh, I, you know, I didn't realize they were neoliberal at the time, I didn't even know what the word was, I just saw them as quote-unquote progressives, that's what they called themselves, even if they weren't, and that's what they claimed themselves to be, so the chunk of my politics initially started to basically become a deep-rooted opposition to everything that they said and that they did. And I learned to despise them because of their incompetence, because of their hypocrisy, because of their mouthing of platitudes while leaving the working class to die, um, which, heh, not much has changed a couple years down the line. But the thing that really made me politically savvy was I was in about fifth or sixth grade when 9-11 happened. And, uh, you know, even when I was a kid, I... Uh, admired our soldiers for the fact that, you know, okay, we went in in Afghanistan and we, you know, invaded and we defeated the Taliban in like six months to a year, you know, and I thought that was cool, you know, because again, you know, I, I like the cops, like the military, I watched G.I. Joe, you know, and I still have some lingering love for both of those institutions to a degree, um, and, uh, you know, I thought it was cool, but even I was confused as a little kid as to why we still stayed in there, you know, um, we went in, we did what we needed to do, and figured we could just leave, right, and I didn't realize until much later that the cause for that was a lot, um, deeper than I thought, but another big political impact story was, uh, 
the bailouts. Um, 07, 08, 09, that was around the time of the Great Recession, and that was a time of great personal hardship, and that was a time of bailouts, which to me were a slap in the face. We had a $700 billion Wall Street bailout, and you know, granted, I was a middling capitalist at the time, and I understood that, uh, you know, um, I, I was very, very angry, uh, but, you know, I thought, okay, maybe it was necessary, maybe that's how the financial system works, and maybe if Wall Street died, everybody else's, you know, fortunes and everything else like that would go to hell. And, you know, I grudgingly thought maybe. And then the auto companies got bailed out, and AIG got bailed out, and then I was incredibly angry. And then I was watching the debates in 2008, and the only one who made sense on any of the stages was Ron Paul. You know, it was a little wizened old Texas man who was talking about the Federal Reserve, talking about how bad it was to bail out the corporations, talking about how we needed to end the wars. And... I'll never forget, he was getting laughed at by everybody else, and I remember yelling at the screen, I'm like, why are you laughing at him? He makes sense, you know, <laughs> maybe being an angry teenager, and, you know, as I got more into researching politics, researching history, I, uh, you know, I even started to learn a little bit more about, you know, foreign affairs, and uh, even remember talking to one of my teachers at one point about how, um, when they toppled, uh, Saddam Hussein in Iraq, it led to a power vacuum, and it led to making the country worse, because, say what you want about Saddam, he was something of a stabilizing force for, uh, for Iraq, and, you know, it, that's where I learned that a great deal of places around the world need a strong man, or the country will collapse into multi-ethnic chaos. Hi, Yugoslavia. Good to see you. So, I briefly styled myself as a libertarian Republican. Now, granted, I didn't really go as deep into libertarianism as I needed. Um, I mainly agreed with the libertarians with regards to the Federal Reserve, with regards to the need to trimming down government and making it competent. And, um, ironically, back then, the libertarians were the anti-war party. Um, they were against these forever wars. They were against these, um, these sort of, you know, military-industrial complex wars. And again, there were a lot of phrases and terms and words that I didn't quite understand at the time. And, uh, and it was something quite interesting to behold, kind of the development of where I was at and where I've ended up. And so I was a Libertarian Republican for a good number of years, but then I started getting pushed further and further right because... All of what I saw of the left was, quite frankly, everything that was stereotyped about them. That was all what was shown to me. That was all what I had seen. And, uh, you know, the, the whole stereotype about weak leftists, about leftists being backed by the establishment. I started getting into certain conspiracy theories. I started getting into, you know, seeing what was really going on. And I started to drift further right and drift further right and drift further right. And, uh... You know, for a couple of years, I, I would call myself right-wing, um, and I did sort of believe some of what these quote-unquote trad pages believed. Um, and, you know, I was very anti-communist, very pro-capitalist, um, you know, so on and so forth. Very, you know, very nationalist in 
my demeanor, and to some degree I still am, but I temper it with some pragmatism, if you will, and uh, it took me a while to realize that the issue I was having was was people pulling the strings behind everything else, you know? Now, I started drifting more and more to a different mentality, if you will, because I realized that literally everything about the right wing, literally everything about the right wing was nothing more than pure reaction. There was no plan. There was no, um, there was no movement. There was no means of saving things. You would have the right. You would have the right wing wanting to go back to the sort of almost primitive, idyllic existence, which is quite frankly impossible, and would be very detrimental to a great number of people. Uh, on one hand, and then you had the other half basically wanting to only care about the stock market and only care about, you know, their balance books and their profits and <laughs> and screw everything else. You know, short-term profits, long-term um, detriment, but. That's uh, most of the world today. So, the closest thing I could call myself now is something of a patriotic socialist. And I started learning more and more about um, what communists genuinely believed and thought. Um, I started learning more and more about how, quite frankly, a lot of what I saw of the left, what we saw of the left, was quite frankly, a CIA-backed PSYOP. And I've said that a couple of times in my videos on Instagram, um, but the reason I say that is because in order to, during the Cold War, in order to destabilize the Soviet Union, what the CIA did was they would fund cultural leftists, you know? Technically, it's, it, technically it's cultural Marxism, but that's just the misnomer that a lot of right-wingers have given it because all they see is the left cultural leftism, they don't quite scratch the surface and realize that it was backed by the CIA in order to destabilize the Soviet Union in order to win the Cold War. And, uh, you know, Susan Sontag was heavily sponsored by them. Sidney Hook was one of, was a Trotskyist, Trotskyist, and he was one of the main progenitors of cultural leftism. Um, the Frankfurt School and things like that, all of that was backed by the CIA via the Congress of Cultural Freedom. And you can literally, this is this is public knowledge, you can literally look, Google this up. And even if Google tries to, you know, hide some of the truth, um, they're not going to hide the CIA openly bragging about the Congress of Cultural Freedom. And that ties into a significant number of uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, being a very effective vehicle for regime change, being a very effective vehicle for these sorts of soft power color revolutions that we see. Make no mistake, a lot of the quote-unquote revolutions we see, the Arab Spring being a prime example, was a color revolution. It was funded and funneled in by Western elements, Western interests, and, you know, false opposition, false flags, all sorts of things. You know, the, the great media apparatus directing everybody to blame one person while taking their eyes off of every off of the reality and again i say this as an absolute patriot i say this as somebody you know despite its flaws i do love my country uh i just have significant issues with the people that currently run it i have significant issues with the system we have in place that leaves the one percent all fine and dandy while the working class suffers and dies i have uh a problem with a great deal of the means of production being placed in the hands of people who quite frankly care nothing for the country 
or care nothing for long-term stability. They just want to squeeze the profits out and then toss it away like a lemon rind. They don't care about the working class because they can just ship jobs overseas. They can just import uh, cheap labor via the southern border. And that's what nobody understands. Um, all the uh, right-wing talking points is, again, a direct reaction. But nobody ever looks at the cause. All you're looking at is a symptom. The right-wing is a reaction to the symptoms. Few, if any, see the cause. And the cause is, again, capitalism. And that sounds very trite and simplistic, but... And this is where half the people, I'm sure, will, you know, turn, turn off. But the reason I'm becoming a patriotic socialist, or national communist, however you want to style that one, is because the majority of what we were told was a lie. The majority of even the opposition that we see was a lie. And it says a lot about gray versus gray morality that World War II was quite frankly sponsored by the Rothschilds on both sides. From the UK being funded by the Rothschild, it's been a Rothschild heavy, um, uh, heavy country for decades, including Germany, be, um, 1930s Natsak Germany being funded by the Rothschilds themselves. And everybody makes hay about the fact that, you know, supposedly Hitler clicked out of Rothschild. He didn't. He absolutely did not. Um, he snuffed trade unions out. He made the big conglomerates run the economy. He, um, you know, actually killed the genuine socialists in the party during the Night of the Long Knives. And, uh, so he was just a, he was just a capitalist. It was just capitalist on capitalist crime. And the Soviet Union literally only retaliated when they were genuinely attacked. And so what it comes down to is, uh, it's this element of needing to dig to the truth, you know? And communism is an easy can art to blame, to be quite honest, you know? There's a reason why, um people will propagate the cultural Marxism trope um, without looking at the truth because it benefits the ruling class. It benefits the ruling class to have races at each other's throats. It benefits the ruling class for us to fight over who makes a little bit more money, who has a nicer car. But let's be very honest with ourselves. We got food lines in Texas. And I'm talking deep, you know, food lines and, and food banks being almost commonplace in America, the richest country in the world. A wise Russian once said, some countries can have a great many resources, but the resources are so inefficiently mismanaged as to cause starvation and ruin. He's referring to certain countries during the times of the 1920s and 30s and 40s, but quite honestly, it could happen. It could be applied to today. We are the United States of America. Say what you want about us, we are the richest country in the world. But unfortunately, we are rapidly becoming like Brazil, in which there's going to be a very rich upper class and a very poor uh, lower class with almost no middle class in between. Now what does need to happen honestly is a recognition that most of what we're being told is a lie most of what is on the news is a lie most of 
the mentalities you have in your head are a lie. They've been fed to you by the media. They've been fed to you by pop culture. They've fed, been fed to you by music, you know, by, by the television, by movies and things like that. Think about it. Why do you think they medicate kids in, in the schools? They medicate kids in the schools to shut them up and to make them prepare for eight hours of schooling every single day. And what does that do? That damages the children's brains. And they grow up and they can't properly function in society. Why? Because it benefits the ruling class. If you just have people smart enough to do certain tasks but not smart enough to expand their knowledge, guess what? You've already made a servile class. There's a reason why they call it service sector jobs. That's most of the jobs that pop up nowadays. Whenever the liberals or the Republicans want to talk about, oh, job creation. In reality, the same jobs that have been popping up since the 90s, since NAFTA was written into law. Mostly restaurant jobs, mostly gig economies, service sector jobs. You're working two, three jobs just to pay the rent. If you're working two, three jobs just to pay the rent, you're not going to focus on what's really going on. You're going to be more open to very simplistic tropes, simplistic lies that they're going to feed you so that way they can control you better. Think about it. Why do you think masses of people are all marching up and down the streets over who won the election? Why do you think masses of people marching up and down the streets thinking that they're victimized? Now granted, there are genuine troubles in the world, but let's be very honest. What does seeing yourself as, as a victim ever do for you? I can speak from experience, it does absolutely nothing. Makes you weak. Makes you scared of everything. And the capitalist world we live in will be more than happy to keep you down, keep their foot on your neck. So what is to be done, comrade? Well, you have a duty to your working class to become physically strong, work out as best you can, even if they just close down the gyms. I'm going to get into calisthenics. I'm going to buy a kettlebell and see what I can do. You have an obligation to gain a foothold in society because that is how countries change because people who want to change it get a foothold in society and change it little by little by little by little. That is what needs to be done. What needs to be done is the means of production needs to be placed in the hands of the working class. So what does that mean in our society? The working class must own the means of production. What are the means of production? Well, factories, buildings, real estate, internet businesses, breweries, there's a multitude of businesses. Now granted, we may have to modify certain things, but some wise men wrote some really wise words that still really apply today. I'll let you think of all that. I'll be around.